Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Black Lawyers Podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Judge Greg Mathis and Attorney Jade Mathis. Looking for the latest Black legal news, Black event, Black empowerment merch, or even a Black lawyer? Then look no further. TheBlackLawyers.com is your one-stop shop for all your legal needs and Black community resources. Check us out today. Again, theblacklawyers.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Black Lawyers Podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Judge Mathis and his daughter, Jake Mathis. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. Thank you for having Thank you for, Thank you for having us on. Yes, and yes. make sure you ask all the questions of the, your, the young lawyer you have here, uh, <laughs> who is probably better prepared than the old man judge. <laughs> no, no, no. This, this interview lawyer. is... This interview more. This interview is more about you than it is about anything else. Our job All is to right. find out more about more about you, more than what meets the eye, more than what they put on uh, social media and yeah. <laughs> in the news. This is our in depth to, to find out a little bit more about you. Um, but right. before we before we get to that, our podcast always starts off with hot topics. There are a lot of things going on in the news. There are a lot of defendants in the news. Um, and so we're going to today play um, uh, uh, the, the a judging version of Hot Topics, where, of course, you're a judge. And today, Jay, you will also be a judge. Um, and so it'll be the Mathis edition of um, Who's Judging You? Okay, so you guys are going to put up a, for the people that are watching, and I'll, if you're listening, I'll let you know what they're putting up. But for the people that are watching, they're going to put up a one if they are going to send the defendant to jail, and they're going to put up a two if they're not going to send them to jail. Okay, so the first story we have is um, our dear sister, Carly Russell. Uh, from Montgomery, um, I'm sorry, from Alabama, who has a first court date coming up, um, misdemeanor charges for staging her own kidnapping last month. If you're not familiar with this story, she said that she was driving down a highway. She saw a child walking down the highway. She called it in. She even called her family saying that she saw the child and then all of a sudden the call disconnected. So um, I'm sure people that are parents out there, if you hurt your child on the phone and all of a sudden disconnected, even if they're not kidnapped, something has happened. They've been in an accident, something has happened. And so there was this all out man search for her. And she came home a few days later at first saying, oh no, yeah, I was definitely kidnapped and gave a whole story. And then we come to find out she finally breaks down and tells the truth and says, you know what, I, I I made a mistake and I was not kidnapped. And so she admitted to um, the hopes it's giving very uh, Jesse Smollett. Uh, so, you know, at the end of the day, it, it you know, they I think they were even calling her Carly Smollett. I know, and I know <laughs> Jesse is actually still appealing. He's still sticking by his story that he, did, he didn't make it up that he was, you know, harmed. But with her, she actually admitted that it was obviously a hoax. So in this case, jail for one or uh, no jail for two. No jail. Oh, wait. Yeah, no jail. Interesting. 
I would not. Okay, so Jay and Judge Travis both said no. Jay, I don't think I would have predicted that. Okay, Jay, why are you not going to give her no jail time? Well, I think she probably needs more help and resources than anything. Um, I think that that's an indication that something is wrong. And as a prior prosecutor, you kind of look at the person as a whole and not the actions. And I think that there's an indication that she probably, I would say now resources, she should refund the resources that were spent looking for her from law enforcement. Absolutely, she should do that. But I think um, some type of treatment or courses or community service or something like that would be um, would be sufficient. This case. Judge Mathis, what about you? No I say the same. I say the same thing uh, with regard to the penalty. It should be conditioned upon her obtaining treatment. But it's a simple um, uh, filing a false police report. Uh, everything else was just a woman lying <laughs> about, about uh, what's going on with her. And the media caught a hold of it. She didn't ask for the media, I don't think. Uh, so true. she might, the media can go after her, but they have no case either. So this is a simple misdemeanor, filing a false police report. But as Jay said, I would also require restitution for the expenses that she caused the city uh, to spend uh, in, uh, in in response to her false police report. That's a good point. And I, I forget, judges are also lawyers. So that's a very good argument. At the end of the day, she did not ask for the media to get involved. And, I, and you don't know when you, I mean, you never know how you know, somebody somebody said you had Beyonce's mama looking for you. Shave on <laughs> right. <laughs> she didn't, you know, she, I don't think she knew it was gonna get this big. No. So okay, very interesting, very interesting. But we're gonna stay in Alabama to another story that literally just happened about maybe a week ago. I'm sure if you're listening, you're familiar with the Alabama Brawl where there was a dock worker that told a, a group of um I guess they were family and friends, but there was a group of uh, white people that owned a boat that was on the dock, and he's the dock worker's black, and he simply just told them, hey, you know, you need to move your boat because we're trying to get in another boat. Again, very simple. Um, it's actually all on video. He's not yelling. He's very calm. They became very aggressive with him. Probably had a little had to do with alcohol because they had been drinking all day on the boat, and they felt the need to, instead of just moving the boat, um, attack him. Now, again, not predicting the response, I don't think he knew that all these people were going to come to his rescue. So maybe two minutes later, you see people swimming, running to his rescue, and it just ended up being this all-out brawl. Um, and one of the uh, people seen in the brawl is Reggie Ray, who was seen wielding a chair, which at this point, he needs a trademark. He needs to sell his own folding chairs because so many people are making money off this folding chair meme at this point. Um, but he was seen fighting with a chair and and hit one of hit one of the people hit was a woman with the chair, and so um, he was charged. Um, but he was actually charged with disorderly conduct versus the white people in the boat were actually charged with assault charges. So I think it's interesting that um, they actually, even though they're all misdemeanors. Um, they actually only charged him disorderly conduct. Now, someone tells me it's probably because they don't want another world. Um, <laughs> and that, you know, maybe it's because he was coming in defense of others. You know, there's a self-defense rule that says that you can do that. I don't I don't know their their rationale, but in, in behind the charges. But he did just get disorderly conduct. Um, jail or no jail for hitting a woman in the world? 
<laughs> Jade and Judge Mathis both said no jail. Okay, Jade. Why no jail? You know, he, he hit a woman in the crawl. Why why no jail? Because that's well, what I some don't... people are emphasizing. They're like, well, he hit a woman. You know, she wasn't gonna be able to fight back anyway. One, I don't know if that fits the elements of disorderly him hitting the chair. I just don't know enough to know if that fits the elements of what that, if, if that fall. I don't actually think it assault. does. I think they just gave yeah. it man. I actually think it's assault. Yeah, it was a second degree assault. <laughs> yes, I think if they want to charge him with something, it probably would be assault or battery, but I'm not for the, the, the current charge, no. Judge Matthews? Well, first of all, I want to clarify that because you mentioned a couple of times, hit a chair, hit a woman with a chair. And I don't think that should be relevant, the uh, gender, uh, particularly in uh, the type of uh, progressive uh, um, approach to uh, women and men uh, and their abilities, if they can fight in the army, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so let's eliminate that as one of the issues. And yes, uh, I view it as an assault. And uh, however, uh, I would not give jail time. However, he did escalate the fight with the use of a weapon. Uh, everybody else was fist fighting. So I would definitely um, give him a stern punishment, but no jail time. Perhaps anger management, uh, perhaps the, how to properly use <laughs> Use the weapon, forgive me, Lord. <laughs> or, or at least give the woman a warning before he uses the weapon. He just says, I have a weapon and I've given you a warning because I feel threatened by your actions. Right, you better back and, up. And if she doesn't stop then, then you lay it on her. And I think it's no, you don't. Right? no, you don't, because that's a weapon and you're escalating what amounts to a fist fight, and you cannot do that. Okay. That, that that's is an exception to self-defense. That's true. That's true. And I think um, <clears throat> you know, some people were like, why are people just so invested in this brawl? Uh, one of the things I learned looking into just even the area. So historically, that dock nearby that dock, they actually sold slaves. And you have to understand, even though it's 2023, I always tell people, I never want to live below the Mason-Dixon line. Because the, the minute somebody says something to me crazy, I probably go to jail every week. I'm, because I'm blessed to live for the most part up north and on the East Coast where I didn't have to face those type of things, mm -hmm. there is a tolerance level you have to have living in the South. You have to let a lot of things slide and things like that. And that particular community says they're still not treated very well. In that area, um, they still face a lot of like discrimination and racism and things like that. And again, I'm not justifying violence, but I think every slave rose up in those people when they saw him being attacked. And I'm gonna be honest, I think they blacked out. I really think they just blacked out and reported. Again, not justifying violence, but if people want to understand maybe some of the rationale of why it happened, you know, I think for some people, like, you know, it's enough, it's enough, you know. It's, if he was a white dock worker and he told you just to move the boat, yeah. you know, would you really have reacted that way? Probably not. I, yeah. I don't think so. I don't think. I don't so. think so either. I don't think. So. I don't think so. Uh, but no jail. Okay, no jail. Well, so right, let me add on to that. Okay. Let, <laughs> let me add on to what what I believe is one of the root causes of that. I think it's white entitlement at its uh, finest. 
or at its mm -hmm. finest display. And that being, uh, you can't tell me where to dock my boat. I'm, I'm a good white man from the South. Uh, <laughs> you know what this is down here. Uh, so I think that had a lot to do with it. And entitlement is also, um, quite frankly, pandemount to white supremacy. And so I think all that is mixed up in there. Mm -hmm. For sure, for sure. Okay, well, our third defendant, I'm going to mess up his last name, so I'm just going to call him Kai, but his last name is C-E-N-A-T. He's this big social media influencer. I think he has the most followers on this new app called Twitch. Either way, this man is a multimillionaire, um, very young, decided to do something good for the community, um, just put on his social media page, hey, don't miss my giveaway. I'm going to be giving out all sorts of things, including... Playstations and all sorts of things, you know, kids in the hood would want, right? Um, and so he did a pop-up, you know, obviously didn't get a permit, just did a pop-up, told people where to meet him, and he started giving the stuff away. And basically hundreds of thousands of people showed up. And, you know, which I guess if the people had shown that, that wouldn't be as big of a deal. Some of those people started to like fight the police and fight each other and just start all sorts of like fights and things. And so they're actually um, trying to charge him with um, inciting a riot, um, which is a felony. And it's crazy because it's like the day the they arrested him on the day of. I think it's taking him how long to charge Trump for inciting the January sixth? Has it been two, two years? years. It's <laughs> crazy how it's taking you almost two years, and that really was evidence of inciting riot versus this guy. Literally, it says on his flyer, I'm doing a giveaway. You know, his clear intention was to do a giveaway. You know, so a lot of people are like, well, you know, um, he, you know, oh, he's just, you know, a, you know, one of these Generation Zers that are like entitled, you know, he should be punished because he didn't get a permit and, you know, he just thought he could just get away with whatever, you know, I don't, it's amazing. I find a lot of people being very, very hard on him. I'm just like, this is like a kid that did a giveaway, but anyway, jail or no jail for, you know, the people were hurt allegedly in the, in the, in the, in the fighting. So jail or no jail, no jail. Okay. And you can give your reasons why Jade. First. Um, I just say I don't think that there was any intent to incite a riot. I think it's important to look at his intent. Also, if he, like you said, was in a neighborhood doing that, as opposed to what was it, downtown or Times Square, um, they wouldn't go and charge anyone in a neighborhood doing a backpack drive or a giveaway drive. So I just think it probably was poorly thought through, and then maybe he should be responsible for uh, some of the damages uh, if someone was injured or some or something like that. But I don't think it warrants jail time. Well, I believe um, there was gross negligence involved, uh, which in this instance, um, it would be criminal. And because uh, those elements include whether you knew or should have known that your actions would be disruptive to the public. And under those circumstances, we just heard he didn't get a permit, but also he knew or should have known that it would be disruptive if you offered uh, free stuff, free stuff to <laughs> folks who are struggling. <laughs> and there's a lot of folks struggling. I think the poverty level in New York is somewhere near 20 percent. 
So you got 20 people in 20% of the city is in poverty and you offer free things. You better be glad 20% of those 12 million people didn't show up. <laughs> I know, I know. It could have been even it could have been even crazier. So But certainly yeah. he would be certainly he would be liable for the uh expenses and the damages that were caused as a result of his gross negligence. Well, saving the I guess the best for last, our fourth defendant is our former president, Donald Trump, who at this point, the hits keep coming. If you're listening to this and you have not been keeping up, uh, he is on his fourth indictment. So a few months ago, he got indicted again for finally his role in inciting the January 6th riots. Um, and this was in addition to uh, his New York case with Stormy uh, Daniels paying her off. Um, there, there was some invasion and, and some, some, some charges that they that were surrounding the payoff of, of his mistress. That was something going on in New York. And you have been citing the, the the riot, and now Georgia is. Um, oh, and then let's not forget what is it, Mar-a-Lago. Uh, with him keeping documents that he wasn't supposed to keep. That's obviously a separate charge. Um, and so now we're, he's looking at just recently, a few days ago, um, DA Fannie Willis, who, if you don't know who she is, she has a RICO charge also against Young Thug and um, some other co-defendants in Atlanta, Georgia. And that case is moving slow as snails because there's so many defendants and there's so many motions. Um, they haven't even picked a jury out for that trial. Um, but she is coming after Trump and claiming, you know, she wants wants a trial for him in six months for interfering with the Georgia election. Now, I definitely think she should bring the charges, but she's not going to get a trial in six months just because there's so many things on the calendar ahead of what's happening with Trump. Um, and, you know, I think for her, she's just trying to push it because she wants it before um, the election. Um, if you don't know this, you can't partner, pardon away. Uh, a state crime. So it, it, ideally, if it could happen before, that would be great. Um, because if for some reason he was elected, God forbid, he, he is elected, um, you know, but if he was elected again, he would be able to pardon that way. So that's why there is a push to push the state stuff quicker. I just don't think realistically it can happen. Um, but anyway, he's claiming he's going to come out with a document in a, in a press conference next week that's going to clear his name of this, I don't know about the other three charges, but this charge, he says he has an undeniable document that is going to, is they're going to have to drop the case. Again, I don't know what this document is, um, but that is the latest on Trump. So, you know, he's got so much going on. You just take your pick. Would you put him in jail for any of the four? Because at this point, there are four different charges. So are there any charges where it's like, okay, he should probably sit in jail for a little I send him straight to the penitentiary. <laughs> he needs to be in big jail. Well, the this, they put their ones up real fast <laughs> to this particular defendant. <laughs> I'll let you go first, Judge Mathis. Well, everybody's not crazy. <laughs> so if you got four prosecutors on him, three of them are federal prosecutors uh, mm -hmm. who don't charge you unless uh, they are convinced they can win by margin of 95%, which traditionally is their margin of victory. Um, I think one of those three federal cases, there's an overwhelming amount of evidence from what I've seen, both posted on the internet, independent evidence, and uh, have read of, uh, otherwise. 
And with regard to Georgia, the state crime, I think that they have an overwhelming amount of evidence that there was a, they conspired him and his campaign staff, his lawyers, others conspired and moved forward. That's the RICO charge. Not only did you move forward, uh, not only did you conspire among each other, you moved forward on that conspiracy. And I think she has enough evidence to convict. And uh, anyone charged with, there's a mandatory minimum in Georgia for uh, RICO. So certainly uh, he should not be above the law uh, that a street kid has to uh, be subjected to that uh, based on the poverty and the extreme uh, circumstances that they live in and try and get out of. Well, he's trying to get out of his circumstances and he didn't live extremely. Uh, he had a, a comfortable life. So that's my opinion. We don't. We want the justice system to be fair, and uh, th in this case, that's what I'm hoping will happen. Not too confident, but hoping. What do you think are the odds, though, out of the four? Though, do you? So, do you think state more than federal? They would probably get them in jail out of the four. What do you think out of the four? What do you think they have the probably the closest chance? Just based on your opinion of what you know. Yeah, Georgia, and with uh, because it has a mandatory minimum. Okay, because it has a uh, mandatory minimum. Yes. Okay. Okay, that's fair. And it's interesting, Jay, that Judge Matthew said this thing about I me mean, used to be a prosecutor. Is there a reason why you guys typically it's like I mean that's really high, ninety five percent. Is there a reason why prosecutors have such a high win rate? Because a lot of times we do not pursue cases or pursue prosecuting cases unless we have that well, a good prosecutor, <laughs> unless we have the facts, the evidence, the police report, our witnesses, our victims, depending on what the case is, you know, we still have that discernment to say, no, there's not enough to, to go forward either legally or ethically on this matter. So we don't move until we have enough to go forward with. And so we're pretty confident. And are you also kind of agree that if out of the four, it may be the state that ultimately gets him versus some of these federal charges, you know, maybe a little more in the gray area. Yes, because, yeah, as as the judge said, <laughs> my dad said, yeah, Georgia is the only one with the mandatory minimum, which means even if it's five months, six months, three years, he's going to have to serve sometime. Whereas the other cases, he may not have to and, and get away with a, he may have a record, you know, but he may not actually serve time incarcerated. Yeah. And the irony, the irony here is that a man who uh, frequently degraded black folks um, thought that uh, uh, the killings of uh, and the march, uh, I'm sorry, and of black supremacists, I'm sorry, of white supremacists in Carolina or Virginia, rather, some years ago, he said there were good people on both sides. Uh, of the uh, equation where they were uh, making slant, uh, racist remarks as they marched. And so a man who has done all these things to degrade uh, African-Americans is now being prosecuted and is most likely to be jailed by an African-American. Yeah, that was my uh, that was my law school. I mean, not my law school, my undergrad, uh, UVA, where he said, oh, they're good people on both sides mm -hmm. of the same. Really? Is that your answer? Um, and then, and then um, uh, so that, and also when I think of Trump, I think people, you know, no matter how many stimulus checks I get, people are like, oh, he gave us money. Okay, whatever. No matter how many stimulus checks this person is giving you, I also think back to the Central Park Five, where they call themselves the Exonerated Five now. You know, he put, took out a whole newspaper article, and those, those were children 
I mean, it still crushes my heart. It was very hard to watch that movie uh, from Ava DuVernay about those boys who were put in jail for, you know, assaulting a white woman in Central Park or whatever. It ended up being somebody else. But they put children uh, in jail for that. And, uh, yeah, he took out a whole page paper about it saying, oh, yeah, they should be punished like adults. I mean, kind of really went out of his way. Um, so anyway, I mean, I know he later went on and, you know, was, you know, big time reality TV star. And sometimes people forget, you know, those, those, those things, but I didn't forget. Like, I think, I think it actually. Yeah, you should have put an ad out for the son of Sam in New York. How about that? <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe coming. Uh, but anyway, thank you so much for playing Hot Topics. Uh, you guys did a really good job with these. Uh, you know, there's always so much going on. And here at the podcast, we try to stay on top of the news, especially the news that directly affects uh, affects Black folks. So um, thank you for playing that. Um, I wanted to jump into just your direct interview questions. Obviously, you guys both went to law school. You became lawyers. Judge Mathis, obviously, you became a judge. Um, you have a lot of young lawyers, law students listening to this, or people maybe even interested in going to law school. So my um, first question, we'll start with Judge Mathis and then we'll do Jay. Um, why did you go to law school? Because, I mean, obviously you could have done some other things with your life. Why law school? Why become a lawyer? Yeah, early on, uh, when I started undergrad, having come from um, uh, a deprived childhood, a a troubled childhood, um, segregated into the ghettos of Detroit, I realized once I got to college that, hey, life isn't like this for everybody. Uh, believe it or not, segregation in Detroit is such that you don't even meet a lot of white folks in Detroit. You don't go to school with them. So, you know, little, if anything, other than what you see on the television or when you're arrested <laughs> uh, so, or the police encounters. So I immediately realized that there was an imbalance and so uh, as I was progressing in my uh, uh, education, I knew that social justice and political empowerment was the way to le level the playing field and fight back against racism and poverty uh, and police brutality. And so that's why I chose law, because I knew that was the best way to fight back. And also, Malcolm was always and still is Malcolm X, uh, a, a very uh, an idol of mine, because I kind of share that background that he had and that ambition as well to change the lives and the condition of black people. So he's always been a role model for me and he wanted to be a lawyer. Well, now I, I see where you get your. <laughs> and by the way, he's our third. He's our third cousin, by the way. Wow! No, now I see where you 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 get your 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 disposition from. Okay, my defiance. That's right. It's that in my blood. A lot of sense. I don't know how many people know that. Okay, okay. This is why I do these interviews. Great, great, great. Okay, Jay. Now, obviously, you grew up in a house. Your dad was already a lawyer. Is that what kind of put you, put pressure on? Like, maybe you should be a lawyer like my dad, or is this something you also had an interest in? No, I wanted to be a news reporter. My dad can tell you from the time I was a child, I wanted to be the, a news reporter. Um, but after being diagnosed in college with clinical depression and ADHD, I took it really hard and, and quite frankly, almost gave up. But I said that I can use this to, you know, let it make me or break me. 
And I wasn't going to let it defeat or define me. So I decided to, after I finished my last year, um, go to law school because I wanted to give second chances because I felt like I received a second chance um, post-diagnosis and I still was able to be successful in law school. And that led me to becoming a prosecutor, but I was a non-traditional prosecutor, a second chance prosecutor. So I got to live out the promise that I made to myself 15 years ago. So. Great. Um, now, he kind of already answered one of my questions. He mentioned Michael Max being kind of one of his motivators, mentors. Jade, other than your dad, because I mean, obviously your dad is going to be on the list. Is there anybody else that you kind of saw as a lawyer or in the legal field that kind of inspired your journey? Oh, that is a really good question. Where there was this judge, you probably heard of her before, a uh, name Judge Vonda Evans <laughs> in Detroit. Very famous. She, I think she started off with my dad. Um, and she was just always so pretty to me and so bubbly and but very smart and very stern. And I always just looked up to her. We, we I was around her a lot as a child because she and my family, uh, they were pretty close. But I always looked at Judge Evans. I would just forget she was a judge because she was such a down to earth, normal person person. So I would say Judge Vonda Evans. Now, both attended law school. So starting with Judge Mathis, what was your favorite law school class and what was your least favorite? If you can start with your favorite. Certainly constitutional law uh, was my favorite and securities, uh, securities and transactions, secure transactions was my least favorite. I have a very difficult time with any concepts dealing with math and that's a lot involved uh, in that. Uh, the constitutional law, uh, because I love it and because my skill level uh, lie, lies there. Well, you know, I always tell people, we didn't go to law school to do math. That's the running joke. Lawyers did not go to law school to do math. So anytime they try to put math in front of lawyers, they always have these memes of lawyers struggling with math. It's like, if we were so good at math and science, we could have been doctors. We're lawyers. We, we delegate that out. Uh, Jake, what was your favorite class, least favorite class? My favorite class was actually a biz org, business organizations. And that's the, what I did the best on on the bar exam as well. Um, but it's so weird, but con law was my least favorite. I didn't master that until I took the bar. And I was like, well, listen, you have to master this if you plan on remotely uh, passing this. But yeah, con law was my least favorite. Yeah, I think contracts was my favorite and my least favorite. You know what, it may have also been and it's not because I didn't like the topic. Constitutional law was actually very hard. I don't I don't know if it was like all the scrutiny tests I had to remember or something like that. I always just felt like there was a lot to remember. I enjoyed the class, but it was by it, I want to say it was probably by lowest grade in law school because it was it was that difficult um, for me. But in hindsight, I'm like, wow, it's so important to really know constitutional law, especially with, you know, everything that's going on now, Roe versus Wade being overturned, affirmative action. We have so much going on with our fundamental rights um, that I'm so glad I still was forced to take the class because it 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 truly is a, an important course. Um, so obviously we're all Black lawyers, you know, I repeat this statistic over and over again, less than 5% of lawyers is Black. You know, that percentage has not gone up very much um, in the last few years. Um, in fact, I think it went down a little bit. Um, so, you know, we're not really represented in the spaces we went to. And, um, you know, remind the audience, each of you, what law schools you went to and when you were in law school, 
Was there ever a time where maybe you felt like you were being discriminated against? I'll start with you. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it wasn't an outfit, I mean, you probably got an outfit example, but anytime like, I'm in American society, I feel I'm being discriminated against within the next half hour. <laughs> so, so that answer is an easy yes. I went to the University of Detroit Law School, uh, and um, I'm grateful that they admitted me uh, because they admitted me with marginal grades. Uh, they admitted me through a summer program, all of which in, uh, was uh, in a result of affirmative action. And so that's uh, why that is so important. So, Jay, um, what law school did you go to? And again, was there ever a time where you felt like you were being discriminated? I went to a Thomas M. Cooley Law School in Michigan. And actually, no, they had, we had a, a large amount of black deans, of black professors, of black students and organizations. So I will say I, I did feel pretty at home there. What would be, Jay, your advice if someone wanted to be a prosecutor? Any quick advice tips? I would say that's the that's when I learned the true definition of why they call us counselors. And you are not just a lawyer. You are a therapist. You are a kind of like a judge, law enforcement. So just make sure that you are prepared to deal with people on a deeper level than what you're looking at and look at them as a person and look internally, because if not, then everyone's going to jail. <laughs> Rich Mathis, anyone interested in becoming a judge? Any questions? What's that? If someone is interested in becoming a judge, what are your top two tips? Well, serve first. Serve the community that you want to judge. Uh, a lot of folks think it's their academics. It's their uh, stellar practice of law. Uh, I think it's the service that is most important and that people serve you and then they'll elect you uh, that regardless of the circumstance. Um, so that's what be my advice. If you want to be elected judge, serve. If you want to be elected anything, serve. Join the NAACP. Join your community organizations throughout the city or state. And those people will reward you um, as, as with a judgeship or whatever it is you might seek. Uh, the people are the ones that determine your fate. Please plug for us. You have an upcoming tour, you have a new show with Fire Island Entertainment, and then you have um, a Black Mafia, right? So tell us really quickly what's going on with that. Well, every, all the programming I've done, I've brought six shows to air in the last 10 years, and all of them involve uh, aspirational content, meaning overcoming obstacles and giving a little uh, cautionary tale uh, with um, inspirational endings. Uh, I brought Tiki Palmer to television some years ago as a young show that would inspire young people. And as you see, she has that ability. And then also there was the Mathis Project where I went into the communities trying to assist and get tips for those who had killed children and uh, uh, innocent folks and uh, using my credibility and respect that I receive in the uh in the community. And then a um, couple of other shows. We had Trap Queens is the show that is most popular on BET. I developed and created that as a cautionary tale 
and then this, with inspirational endings to show folks how you can overcome the obstacles that you might engage in. And with um, uh, Don't Judge Me, that's the stage production we are about to embark on. That is once again inspirational. It's biographical and inspirational, trying to show um, uh, folks how they can overcome their obstacles. And so I'm busy these days, and most of it is focusing on uplifting folks. What can we, are we going to expect anything different? Because you're now with Byron Allen Entertainment. You're no longer um, with the other distributors. So should we expect a different format? Is there anything new that viewers should expect from you? Yeah, on, Matt, on Mathis Court, on Mathis Court, I'm going to be a little more direct, if, if you can imagine, and um, a little more, a little less restrained, constrained, if you will, uh, if you can imagine. Uh, here's a brother with, here's a, a Byron Allen. Uh, who I am uh, working with is a brother who is an advocate himself. And so I will, doing, I will be doing a lot more advocacy for Black folks uh, on this show. And so I look forward to it in particular. And one last thing, and then I'll close out with Jay. What is the date for, what is it, the, the, the BMF? It's a movie, right? Yes, we're waiting. On, we've completed the movie. First Lady of BMF It's called BET Film. It's our... Second, uh, we had the first one was Big 50, who was also a young lady in Detroit whom uh, I grew up with and knew for many years. And it's Jade's, one of her dear friends. In fact, all the ladies from Detroit who were part of uh, Trap Queens, Jade knows. And because I make sure that my kids are exposed to every element of life. Uh, particularly the element that I grew up in. I want them to know their people so that they can love their people. And in that sense, um, um, that's what we're doing. And we're waiting on a BET uh, date. We had one for this month, but things transitioning, they are looking to do it in October once they end the transition that they are attempting to uh, accomplish uh, with the sale of BET. Okay, yeah, that's true. And we, we have a black black person buying BT. We had a black person buying the commanders. Black people are definitely on the up and up. And so with that being said, we're gonna close out with Jade. Thank you so much, Jade Matt, uh, Judge Mathis. And we Thank look you. we look forward to everything that's coming out in the next couple of months and into the new year. I know you are a mental health advocate, right? So I know what is important for you is always to put that first. And it's funny that you said, well. I wanted to be, you know, a journalist and do some other things. With your advocacy, it seems like you've been able to actually, you know, do more of your journalism work. It's so funny how life just kind of yeah. come full circle. So yeah. Yeah. to tell us more about why you decided to kind of close out your prosecutor journey and then kind of go into this journey of, you know, your advocacy, being more media journalist. Tell us a little bit more about that, because there's some lawyers that, you know, get kind of burned out and are looking to go into different fields. Well, after being a prosecutor for almost seven years, I did see a lot of injustices and a lot of them were people who look like me. I'm just going to be very honest. I was in a predominantly black county. And so that's what it was reflective of. And at that time, I could only do so much as a second chance prosecutor with diversion courts, but my voice only went so far. So when I closed that chapter out, I still wanted to make sure that I was advocating for second chances. However, I wanted to be a voice for the voiceless, which I was not always able to do. 
as a prosecutor because I was to be a voice for the state of Maryland. So when I now work for myself, I can kind of say what I want to say. And I am my father's child. So <laughs> I do have a Greg Mathis Jr., uh, Judge Mathis Jr. voice and opinion. So then I could just use it on uh, use my platform Still in a, uh, still using my journalism degree and my passion in journalism because I still do a lot of press conferences uh, for a lot of the cases that I'm doing. So it get, it gives me opportunity to intertwine the two. So I don't feel like I'm mix, I'm missing out on either of them, honestly. Hey, and you know, I always tell people don't be afraid to pivot, especially if you've been practicing for a while. If there's something else you're passionate about, and you know. Again, if you don't have the finances to completely quit it, I wouldn't say completely yeah. quit it and just have no money and be homeless and trying to figure it out. <laughs> um, maybe yeah. do a slow transition. I had a plan. I had a plan. Yeah. Yeah. My you have to have a plan. <laughs> and I do think journalism, just like, you know, being a lawyer, there are a lot of transferable skill sets. So I can see, you know, why you've been able to, you know, transition. If you guys are in the D.C. area, you can catch her on Fox 5 sometimes. So she's been able to do that. Also, MSNBC, I know with Simone, you also um, do some correspondent work there. So congratulations on your transition. It's definitely not a, you know, necessarily a, a easy thing. Um, speaking of your mental health stuff, we did want to make sure we plugged whatever is coming up. I know, I think, um, September, I know, is National and Believe Suicide Awareness Month. Um, but if there's anything else that between now and maybe going into the new year, something you're working on, would you like to let the viewers know? Um, definitely let us know what you have going on. Yeah, so I have the privilege of being a, a mental health influencer for the National Institute of Health. Uh, they have a program called uh, All of Us Research Program, and it's predominantly for minorities and making sure that we're getting the correct treatment that we need, specifically catered for our body and our body chemistry for mental wellness. So I am, we're starting that tour in October, the Rooted and Resilience Tour, and I am the Resilient Gym. So I am looking forward to sharing my story and the importance of medication and importance of treatment and accepting and owning and getting help in therapy uh, for any conditions that we have psychologically. Um, yeah, I'm a really huge advocate for that. And I will be shortly uh, making an announcement that I'll be joining a Speakers Bureau as a mental health rep representative for that as well. So, you know, just stick a pin in those. And I will be an author probably next year. I was going to say, I was going to say it. I said, I'm going to let her say it. I, I don't know who I will. Yes, I'll be a, an author hopefully within the next year. But um, I will continue to litigate these cases, specifically the Delano Martin case that we are still trying to get justice uh, for. And we have added Added some superstar uh, lawyers and dream team lawyers to the team. So uh, you all should be hearing about that soon. Okay. And if you don't know, she is still practicing. So if you have a case in D.C., Maryland, Virginia, I'm her, her Black-owned uh, national law firm right there. Uh, I'm sorry, National Harbor. Um, mm -hmm. It's uh, A. Clark Law Group, right? Yeah, um, A. If you are looking and if you're in the D.C. area looking for services or if you just need a referral, uh, Jade's firm is really good about that. And, you know, we're excited that you're still able to, um, you know, you're not a prosecutor anymore, prosecutor anymore, but you're still able to practice. You're able to do your mental health work, you're able to do your journalism. I feel like you're like so probably more balanced now than what it was before. And so yes. we're excited for that and that that journey. Um, we close each episode out with a Black Excellence Moment of the Week. Um, today's Black Excellence Moment of the Week is Hill Harper. 
Um, he is a Harvard Law graduate, but ironically, has not ever played a lawyer on TV, to my knowledge. But I asked him that when hopefully I interview him again. He has been um, a Black Lawyer Podcast champion. He's been on yeah. season one, season two, because we're going to try to get him on season three. He is our Black Excellence Moment of the Week because he is now playing a new role, which is Senator for Michigan. Michigan, so. my home state. Yeah. <laughs> my dad yeah. left too soon. He was I know it's okay. It's, okay. it's okay. It's our Black Excellence Moment of the Week. Um, we're excited that he's going to take on this role. I definitely see him as a politician. I think he didn't just get a law degree. He actually got some other degrees in politics or something at hmm. Harvard. So I'm actually not surprised. He's also really good friends with President Obama, which was our first Black president. So I'm actually not surprised that he's running for office. I think it's a really good fit. He seems to be really passionate about it. Um, so we're definitely rooting for him because he roots for us. He's also yes. um, our Black TV doctor shirt ambassador because he plays a Black TV doctor. We have the Black TV lawyer and Black TV doctor shirts that raise money for our scholarships, which, by the way, are back open. So if you know a, a Black uh, law student or Black medical student that either wants to cover their books or their board exam fees, or as a lawyer, it's called bar exam fees. Um, we were trying to give out as many scholarships as possible each year. Um, and the more people buy the shirts, the more, you know, we can yeah. give out scholarships. So yeah, uh, Hill has been an advocate for us um, for the Harrison Smith scholarship, which is the doctor scholarship. And then the lawyer scholarship is the Obama scholarship. Um, we get, gave that name, um, we gave the Obama name to that scholarship since they're both lawyers. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, scholarship is back open. Um, Jade, I just want to thank you and your dad for, you know, taking the time out just to speak with us. I'm sure many of what you guys said will land on some ears. And as always, we're rooting for everyone Black. Take care. Everybody. Thank you for Take having care, me. Everyone. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Black Lawyers Podcast. This is your host, Jay Carter. Until next time, please follow us on all our social media handles at the Black Lawyers Podcast.